Well, glory. <laughs> I know you're excited. Hear about words and how we're supposed to talk. And some of you were just coming in this morning, I'm sure. I can't wait to hear what preacher, the pastor's going to say about this today. Yes, well, seven weeks, we're going to talk about words, all right? Word warnings, warnings about our words. We're going to find out what does the Bible say about the words that we use. And beloved, the Bible says a lot about the words we say, all right? So as we think about the words that we say, you need to know that doing the research this week that I found that there are approximately 250,000 distinct words in the English language. That's fascinating, isn't it? And even, and I, I've always said, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't have to learn English as a second language because there's so many words that sound alike that mean different things. And then our culture is constantly rewriting the definitions of some words. You know, the words sound like this, but, but uh, we think it means this way, but the culture around us means it's something different. So it's just always this sort of thing going on. Then wondered about how many, what, how many words do we speak in a daytime? Well, Dr. James Dobson, years ago, he's a, child, he's a great psychologist, a famous psychologist. He said this, he, he did some research, and he said that uh, 50,000, for the words, women spoke 50,000 words in a day, and men spoke 25,000 words in a day. Now, Scientific American, which is a little bit more up to date, said that they've done some research and said that men do f- speak 15,669 15, words, and women speak 16,000. So it's closer, closer in. So you can choose which data to believe. That's up to you as which ones you want to believe. But the, mainly what you need to understand is that this series is not about how many words are spoken, but what kind of words are spoken. Amen? Y'all with me? All right. So and I assure you, now look, I assure you that if you're like me, as we focus on this idea about our words, you will definitely be more aware of the words that you use. And I assure you this week, as I've been preparing this message, that it was constantly in the forefront of my mind of the words that I was speaking you know, throughout the week as well. And that happens to us as we go through this series. And so today we're looking at the topic of tame the tongue. Tame the tongue. Now, in the very practical book of James, we learn about the tongue's potential as well as the tongue's problems. But understand something. Listen, as believers who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and as we have been cleansed, we have now been made to be new creations. Listen, that also includes our tongues. We're new creations in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. And so that involves not only our heart, but also the tongue in which we speak here. So let's hear from him today through his word and be willing to yield our words to him. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, starting at verse 1, going through 12. And in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage of scripture today for us. James 3, 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. 
Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let's pray together. Father, how grateful we are for your word and how it illuminates our own lives before it. And I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit and help us to see the areas of our lives that need to be challenged and changed by your spirit and by your word and by your power. Lord, I pray that you would touch every heart and life here today that we would understand, especially as we go through these seven weeks talking about our words, Lord, that we would understand that that you're working in our lives, transforming us to be more like you, and how we speak reveals something about us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives. And, Lord, I just pray you'd use me as your instrument as I'm just here, Lord, as your servant. I pray, Father, that you would speak through the word as I've put the message together as you've laid it on my heart this week. May you speak in every heart and life here today. For those who don't know Jesus, may this be that time of salvation for them that they would say yes to you. But also, Father, those of us who are your people, may you work in our lives as well, Lord, to help us to recognize the importance of what we say. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in every heart and life, and I pray, Father, that words in my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline today in your bulletin. We're going to follow along here as we look about this idea of taming the tongue, to tame the tongue. And so the first thing that we want to see here is the tongue's tribute, something positive that we can say here about the tongue. And as we think about the tongue, Chuck Swindoll and his uh, commentary on the book of James said this. He said, Leonardo da Vinci was a very gifted sculptor and artist. And as such, he studied the human body in as much detail as any doctor of his day. And when he described the tongue, when Leonardo da Vinci described this tongue, which rarely appears in any of his paintings or sculptures, by the way, he said, no other member of the body needs so great a number of muscles as the tongue. This exceeds all the rest in the number of its movements. So the tongue indeed is very small, but it is very powerful. The tongue is small but powerful. So let's look again at what James says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so James begins this specific passage reminding teachers about their great responsibility in teaching. And teaching involves using words, of course. And 
Here he's not discouraging teaching, but he's helping teachers to remember that through their words there is a great responsibility as well as a great accountability to the Lord. And so as teachers, but also not only as for teachers, but for all believers really, our words, now watch, our words have the potential to do good or to do bad. Y'all with me? Our words have the potential to do good or to do bad. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the first part of that verse says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And just think about that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, as it pertains to teachers, you can use the tongue to teach the true words of life or teach a false doctrine which would lead to death. And in that day, there would have been those desiring to become teachers, but they needed to remember that there was power in the words and that their accountability, there was accountability to teach the truth. And so as James begins down this path talking about the teachers, it seems the Holy Spirit then led him down a path of the tongue's potential, but also about its problems. And he hints at that in verse 2, where he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. So in other words, if a person is perfect, or that word really means mature, mature in the faith. If a person is mature in the faith, then they are less likely to stumble in their words. And so now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspires James to write, wanting us to think about the power of the tongue. Even though it is small, it is significant. Even though it is petite, it is powerful. And so the Spirit then gives James the words in in verses 3 and following, uh, these illustrations about the, the power of the tongue. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So let's think about those two illustrations just for a second. We think about the bits that are in the horse's mouth. And that day and this day too, people could use either leather or a piece of metal in a horse's mouth. Just a small piece of, of something that a person would use. And if you think about it, that, that, that makes the horse obey the rider. It makes the horse obey the person. So this little piece of metal or this little piece of leather actually controls uh, the whole body of this animal. And a horse is not a small animal. It moves him about to go in a certain direction. You think also about the rudder of a ship. Ship being, and as you think about a rudder in comparison to the size of the ship, rudder is a small piece to the ship, but yet that is such an important piece as it, it turns a large ship. And the Bible even talks about how even, th- even through it's driven by uh, fierce winds, it's still able to... To, to move that ship in a direction, to turn it, if you will. And the word there for turn, as it talks about there in these two verses, means to steer or to guide. And so these small things have a way of steering or guiding, just as faithful teachers would, by the use of their words or their tongues, help guide people or steer people into the truth. And so will you. So will you. 
By the words you use, you will guide people either to life or toward death. You see, friends, listen. Your words, our words, have the potential to pull down or to build up. Our words have the potential to comfort or to cause pain. Our words have the potential to point to our Savior or to point to our sinfulness. Our words have the potential to promote peace or to promote pride. Our words have the potential for God to get the glory or to give Satan a foothold in our lives. When we think about the bits and the rudders and the awesome responsibility of turning the horses or the ships, we're reminded that that the bits and the rudders must be under the control of a strong hand. And as it comes to your tongue and your words, friends, you and I are not strong enough. We're not. We're not strong enough. It takes the power of Jesus because he must have control of your life to positively affect your words for his glory. The tongue's tribute is that it is small, but it's significant. It's petite, but it's powerful, and the potential is to help steer others to Jesus, but understand there's also the potential to steer people away from Jesus as well. Y'all with me? Yes? All right? All right, so we see the tongue's tribute, but now we come to the tongue's trouble. Oh my, here we go. The tongue's trouble. Even though it is such a small member of the body, this tongue of ours, man, it can cause real problems. Amen? Maybe you've been the recipient of how someone has not tamed the tongue and it's caused problems for you. Or maybe you were the one who was giving it out and it caused problems for you as well. Amen? So taming the tongue, the tongue's trouble. As I was looking this week, I came across an illustration about... Back in 1997, National, Ge- Ge- National Geographic wrote a story about two Swiss men who set out to be the first to circle the earth in a balloon. You may even remember some of that. Their aircraft was called the Bright- Breitling Orbiter. It was a high-tech masterpiece. It was complete with solar power panels, an airtight capsule for pressurized flight at high altitudes so that they would enable them to, to get a hold to the jet stream and fly the jet stream at 200 miles an hour. The price tag for this huge balloon was $1.5 million. Well, as they got up in the air, it wasn't long before, after liftoff, that calamity struck with the cabin sealed tightly and pressurized. The pilots suddenly noticed that there was a strong fume, strong aroma of kerosene. And so they contacted their control center. And they said, kerosene's coming through each pipe on both inside tanks, and we can't tighten them anymore. It's a nightmare, so answer quick. Well, they were advised to lower their altitude, open the capsule, and hold on until they could reach the coast of Algeria. But the the fumes of the kerosene proved overwhelming to them, and so they were forced to ditch in the Mediterranean Sea. Well, you have to ask, okay, what was the cause of the kerosene leak? Well, it was a clamp, like those that are used on an automobile radiator hose. It had failed. The price of one of those clamps was a dollar and sixteen cent. Have mercy, you know? Just a small little clamp. It doesn't take much to undermine a great enterprise. But friends, let me tell you something. 
The tongue can be the same way. Many men and women have come crashing down because of reckless words. Amen? And just so you know, incidentally, two years later, they did take that trip around, and they they made that trip uh, around the world in that balloon. As we think about, though, about our words, it it has been said that nothing trips up a believer more than a dangling tongue. Nothing trips up a believer more than a dangling tongue. So here then are the warnings, the trouble with the tongue. And beloved, these are harsh words from the Spirit of God, but we need to hear them. Y'all with me? Are you sure you're with me? All right. Well, let's, let's roll on then here. The first thing we see here is that the tongue destroys. The tongue destroys. In verse 5, the latter part of verse 5, first part of 6, it tells us, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It only takes, listen, it only takes one little spark of fire. Just one little spark of fire and an entire forest can be engulfed, an entire city can be destroyed. In October of 1871, a fire swept through Chicago. Supposedly, it started by the cow kicking over a lantern in O'Leary's barn. Now, whether that was the case or not, we don't know. But we do know that there was some kind of spark that lit the fire. And what happened is that that fire continued from the night of October the 8th until October the 10th when rain finally gave a boost to the firefighting efforts. But the results of this fire was that 300 people died, 100,000 were left homeless, 17,000 structures were destroyed, and it did over $200 million in damage. And this is back in 1871. Then also, right after the fire, an outbreak of looting and lawlessness so much broke out, so much that soldiers were summoned and martial law was declared, and it ended after only after three days of chaos. And it all started with just one small spark. Listen, friends, such it is with our tongues as well. One small misuse of the tongue, one slight little deceit, one little white lie, one word spoken off the cuff, and it has the potential to catch a blaze and to destroy a person's character, to cause pain, suffering, and sleepless nights, to ruin a reputation, and to destroy a church. It only takes one little word. The tongue destroys. Back in World War II, there were posters that were around that said, Loose lips sink ships. But we also know, friends, that loose lips wreck lives. Amen? They destroy. So we have to be very careful. It destroys. The tongue's trouble, it destroys. Not only does it destroy, but it defiles. Look at the next part of chapter 6. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. It tells us here that the tongue's trouble is that it defiles. It defiles the whole body, the whole body of the person to whom the tongue belongs to. Not only does the tongue have the trouble of potentially harming other people, but it also has the potential, friends, of ruining 
you. The word defiles here that we find in the scripture means stains or corrupts or pollutes. The tongue, the trouble with the tongue is that it can it stains you, it corrupts you, it pollutes you, it has that potential. And we also see that James points to where this comes from. He says it is set on fire by hell. And the word hell there is the word Gehenna which is that putrid, rotten, always burning garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It's the name that is given to the place that's associated with Satan uh, and his demonic host. And this, talking about hell, this is where it comes from, this is how the tongue is described? Well, absolutely it is. Not Because, listen, not only does Satan want you to use your tongue to destroy other people's lives, he is also interested in destroying your life and defiling your life, destroying your reputation, and you're having your witness corrupted, and having your testimony polluted. That's what he's out to do. So let me ask you a question. What do people think when they think about you? What do people think when they think of you? What are the things that people will typically remember about you? You see, friends, listen, it's not going to be that they're going to remember your hairstyle or remember the clothes you wore or the cars that you drove. But people will remember you by the words which you spoke. If you were kind, gracious, encouraging, and building up. Well, they will remember you as someone who was meddling, a complainer, a negative, pulling down, grouch. Ouch. Right? That's how people will remember. By the words that you speak, they will remember what kind of person you are. So be careful because the tongue's trouble, it destroys, it defiles, and then thirdly, we find that it's deadly. Look at verse 8. It says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. An unruly evil full of deadly poison. An unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, just just think about that description, would you? Unruly in the ESV says restless. A better word really is unruly means uncontrolled. An uncontrolled evil, unstable evil. Evil, of course, is wicked, being filled with a deadly poison. An uncontrolled evil, an unstable evil that's filled with a deadly poison. Now, if you just think of that description as a person, you'd want to avoid that person, wouldn't you? If you know of somebody who is an unstable evil person and they are full of deadly poison... There's not somebody you're going to invite to lunch, is it? Right? You want to avoid that at all costs. And yet this is the description that we have of our tongue. It's an unruly evil, unstable evil, uncontrolled evil, full of deadly poison. Someone once said that the tongue is a cyanide capsule behind our teeth that we are ready to break open and spit out words of death to people. Now, Pastor, you... That may be somebody else, but that's, that certainly isn't me. I, I don't do that. I'm not that kind of person. Or, Pastor, that sure is a mighty low opinion of people, don't you think? That's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. So what are you talking about, Pastor? 
Well, you see, God actually gives a very accurate view of all of humanity. Since Adam's fall in the garden, we can turn to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we find these words starting at verse 10, as it talks about who we are as human beings. It tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. None. Now watch this. Their throat is an open tomb. A tomb is a grave. Grave is death. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Friends, that is God's description of us as humanity since Adam's fall in the garden. You see, when Adam sinned in the garden, sin then came to mankind. So every, listen, every human being is born with a wicked heart and an evil sin nature. Lurking inside each of us is a varying degree of hatred and pride, bitterness and jealousy, and the tongue will take hold of these and strike out like a deadly serpent. The tongue is one that is deadly. The poisonous tongue is deadly, uncontrolled, and unstable evil. The tongue destroys, the tongue defiles, it is deadly. And then fourth, we see that it is disloyal. The tongue is disloyal. Look at verses 9 through 12. He says here, with it, with the tongue, we bless our God and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water, bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So Jesus, rather James here reveals that from our mouths come conflicting words at times, which reveals a character in the conflict. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. And he says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. He's speaking to Jewish Christians. He's speaking to believers here. And he said, as a believer, you're not supposed to be putting forth both blessing and cursing. You know, and he uses these examples and he says, these things ought not to be so. Can a fresh and bitter water come from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives? So if you claim to be a believer, listen, if you claim to be a believer, a child of God, there is an expectation of what must come out of your mouth. It must be one or the other, blessing or cursing, but our tongues are disloyal. We claim to be one thing, but our tongues actually are revealing something else. Listen, friends, just just as it is against a tree's nature to produce two different kinds of fruit, neither can we as believers bear two kinds of fruit. And so the question is, is what kind of fruit does your tongue bear? Because a true believer, and this is harsh, are you ready? A true believer will not have this constant use of words that goes against the Christ-centered nature. Let me say that again. A true believer 
will not have this constant use of words that goes against the Christ-centered nature. The Bible tells in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer me who's living anymore because I am now a believer in Jesus Christ because he has transformed and changed, transformed my heart and my life. It's no longer me, but it is now Christ who is living in me. And the life that I'm living, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who's given himself for me. There's something different about my life now because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Amen? Now, now as he uses these illustrations here in, in uh, these last few verses... He says, you don't go to a grapevine and expect to find figs. Now, we, we came from the country. We, we had a few things in the garden, and we know a little bit of something about this kind of thing. You know, if you're expecting to find tomatoes, you don't go to the cucumber patch, right? He says, you don't go to a grapevine and expect to find figs. You don't go to a fig tree and expect to find olives. And, beloved, listen, you don't go to a believer in Christ and expect to find a foul critical, unwholesome, gossipy, backbiting word. Amen? And as believers, we need to know that the Lord sees your life, and he expects to find a mouth that brings forth words that look like and sound like him. They must look like and sound like him. You see, friends, here's the issue. Here's the bottom line here. In reality... It's not the tongue that's the problem. It's not the tongue that's the problem at all. It's the heart. It's a heart issue. That's where the root of the trouble is. You see, friends, listen. The tongue is simply an indicator of what is in the heart. Y'all with me? The tongue is an indicator of what is in the heart. You are simply spewing out what's deep within you as you put this stuff out there. So the tongue trouble stems from the heart, and the tongue destroys, the tongue defiles. It is deadly, and it is disloyal. It's all about the heart. So thirdly, we find this as we think about the tongue's tribute, the tongue's trouble, but then we find the tongue's transformation. Something needs to give. We need to tame this tongue. And so we find in verse 7 and verse 8, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. But yet it must be tamed. It's got to be tamed. So what, what do you do? The tongue must be tamed. Well, as I was working on this message this week, my mind went back, went way back to when I was in the fifth grade. And I remember, and, I, and there's my buddy sat behind me. We were in assigned seats, and I don't know why the teacher had my buddy behind me, but she did. And he was behind me, and his name was Mike. And we were constantly getting into little, little things, you know. Not, not bad. We weren't bad kids at all by any means. No, no. But, <laughs> but, you know, just every once in a while we'd do a little something. And you just never knew with Mike what he was up to. But he tapped me on the shoulder one day, and um, I turned around. And when I turned around, I saw... Uh, he had a, a thread coming out of his mouth. Well, instinctively, I know just sort of those quick decisions, you, I'm thinking, he's got that thread wrapped around a tooth, he wants me to pull it. So I reached around, yanked it, and pulled it. Well, you've seen the cartoons 
where the eyes get big and the mouth comes open? Well, that's basically what happened because what he had done is somehow meticulously he had wrapped the thread and tied it around his tongue. And he just wanted to show me what he had done. But when I reached it and grabbed it and pulled it, it was like it had the lasso effect and it tightened right up. And he could not get that thing off until finally he had to go up to the teacher in front of the class. And she had to, with her sharp scissors and a slippery tongue, tried to figure out how to cut that off and finally was able to do that. But I couldn't help but that image came to mind and how often we think when we come to comes to taming our tongue, if we could just lasso the tongue, bring it into subjection. But friends, that does not work. You, that's not how we tame the tongue. As a matter of fact, as we read there in verse 8, it says that no man can tame the tongue. And we have already read that our sinful nature makes us already likely to have trouble with our tongues. I sort of feel like Paul when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And then in Romans 7, 24, Paul goes further and he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If I can't tame the tongue, who can? What's to happen? Who, who is to deliver me from my sinful self? Who is to deliver me from my troublesome tongue? Who is to deliver me from a mouth that destroys and defiles as deadly and as disloyal? Well, he asks that question and he answers it in the first part of verse 25 when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? He's the one who tames the tongue. You see, this transformation is comes, it's as very simple as Jesus is the one who is able to tame the tongue. And when he gets a hold of our heart, it changes us. And as it changes us, it also changes our speech. Amen? It changes who we are. It changes what we say. As a matter of fact, it's as simple as counting to four. One, two, three, four. Matthew, as a matter of fact, Matthew 12, 34. You're going to see this verse a lot running through these seven weeks that tells us, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in other words, friends, if we are filled with Jesus, if we are filled with his spirit, if we are filled with his grace, then our hearts then should overflow with his goodness and it would be revealed through the words in which we say to other people. Right? I don't know y'all are awake today. I am just not sure about this. Or you're just not so sure about this idea about talking about the tongue and being, being okay with the preacher talking about that. But friends, we need to understand that no one can tame the tongue. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. And so since we know that, there's two things that you need to do. Number one, you need to work on your walk. We all need to work on your walk with Jesus work on your walk. And the first step is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. That's how you begin the walk. You see, Jesus is the one who desires to redeem you. He's the one who desires to transform you, to reconcile you, to be in a relationship with you. And that begins by taking that step of faith, where we acknowledge that we're all sinners. We just talked about that a minute ago. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all need him to save us. We can't do that ourselves. 
So we're all sinners. We need him to save us. And we turn from our sin and we're turning to Jesus, realizing the sin has no hope for us. There is nothing that that sin can offer. But yet, rather, Jesus gives us everything we need. He fully satisfies. He's the one who provides all that we need in our salvation. So we turn to him in repentance. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for all that I've done. And I embrace, I believe with all of my heart that you are God's son, Jesus, who died on the cross, who rose again bodily for me. We believe that by faith and we profess that he's the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. So when you take that step of faith, it's the beginning of the walk with Jesus. And so if you've never done that, it's our prayer that you'll take that first step today, trusting him as Savior. But Christian, also know this in your to-do as well, working to work on your walk. You've already taken that step of faith, but you need to understand that we are always to be working on our walk with Jesus. Guess what? We have not arrived yet, right? We have not arrived yet. Chances are you've already spoken this week like you should not have to somebody. You don't have to say yes to that, all right? I had somebody come up to me after the first service and said, Pastor, I had to apologize to my husband this morning. (laughs) Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to do that as well. But whatever the case, we know that we're not there yet. We're not perfect yet. However, we're to constantly be working on our walk and seeking to draw closer to Jesus. And the closer we are to Jesus, the more he's going to be working in our hearts and lives and the more we're going to be revealing who he is in us through the words in which we speak. Work on your walk. Jesus can quench the raging fire within. He's the one who can tame that snarling beast. He's the one who provides the antidote for the poison. And he's the one who can change your speech from coming from the depths of hell to going to the heights of heaven. So work on your walk. And then secondly... Weigh your words. Weigh your words. That means before you say them. All right? Weigh your words before you say them. Think before you speak. Weigh your words. Think before you speak. I say, well, I don't know that I can do that, Pastor. All right? Well, if you can't do that, then listen to what you just said. Does that make sense? Think before you speak and listen to what you just said. Weigh your words and ask yourself, as you have just heard what you just said, or you want to say what you're about to say, ask, is it worthy of Christ's name? Is it worthy of Christ's name? Because you carry the name of Christ with you wherever you go as a believer, right? Is it worthy of Christ's name? One last thing. I don't know if you all have noticed around the church or not, but at each one of the doors now, there's a sign. Uh, Because of the culture in which we live today and because of the times, um, we have to have video cameras. And so there's a sign there that says, Church Under Surveillance, uh, Church Under 24-Hour Surveillance. That's what it says, Church Under 24-Hour Surveillance. We have to have those things. We want people to be able to know that, you know, look out because we're watching you kind of thing. But I thought, wouldn't it be better even for us as a church to see it this way? If we could just put a colon, two little dots after the word church, it would say, church, you're under 24-hour surveillance. Right? Because aren't we under a 24-hour surveillance by the Lord all the time? I mean, you're being watched either way. You're being watched by people, how you act, what you say. All of us are 
especially as believers. The world's just looking for an opportunity to, to pounce on something that you've said. But even more importantly than that, than that is you need to know that the Lord is always watching. He's always there with us, and he hears every word. So, friends, let it be our determination of our hearts that we want the words that we say and the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable to the Lord, who is our rock and our redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, may you have your way in our hearts and lives. We want you to truly have control over our tongues to have control over our hearts so that it is the overflow into the words that we say. That, Lord, when people hear us speak, they'll know who we are by the words of which we use. Lord, I pray that it brings glory and honor to your name in all that we say. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray, Father, that you would be of those who may have need to trust Jesus in their hearts and lives to say, I want to know him as the Lord of my life. I want to I recognize that I can do nothing on my own, but I need him. So, Lord, I pray for those who may need to make that decision today of trusting the Lord Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. That in just a few moments as we sing, that they can come to Pastor Joe or myself and that they would be able to say, I need Jesus, and we'll be glad to pray with them. But, Father, also for those of us who claim the name of Christ, Lord, how we desperately need you to constantly be working in our lives and give us a greater desire to love you more, to draw closer to you, so that we can be the people you've called us to be and to say the things you want us to say, to do the things you want us to do. And so, Lord, I pray now that you'd be with us as we need to maybe recommit our hearts to you, recommit our lives to you and say, Lord, I know I've failed in so many areas, but Lord, help me to have a greater passion for you so that I can grow closer to you and you can control my tongue. Lord, I don't want to say words that are hateful. I I don't want to say words Uh, that are mean-spirited. I don't want to pull down. I want to build up. And I want people to see me and hear me. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to hear Jesus coming out of my mouth. And so maybe you're working that in all of our hearts and lives here today. And I pray, Father, that we just surrender to you completely. Whatever's going on in our lives, maybe it's not our tongues, maybe it's something else. Lord, we pray that people would come and give their hearts to you and surrender, maybe come and just kneeling and pray at the altar, just coming for prayer. Whatever it may be that you're dealing with us about, Lord, let us be open and receptive as you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You come as God's dealt with your heart today.